the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a glorious morning to you. Thanks for joining us as we get underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Monday. It's a new week, new opportunity to educate, new opportunity to be educated, new opportunity to learn, new opportunity to help save this country. It's the 25th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. You know, I miss Larry Elder. I love Officer Tatum, by the way. But I miss Larry Elder because of that nightly mention, that nightly reminder that we've got a country to save. And guess what? He was right when he was doing it on the radio. He's right now that he's doing it with Larry Elder's own um, uh, uh, programs and uh, and uh, pursuits. And uh, we're going to continue to carry that mantle because it absolutely is uh, that serious. We've got a country to save. And the worst part about it, my friends, is when we get started today, we've got a country to save from people who claim they're trying to save the country. They are liars. They're deceivers. They are deceptive. They are their their entire existence is to advance their own power and to adv- advance their own wealth. That's what globalists have always wanted to do. That's what globalists who are working within the United States government right now want to do. They want to advance their own power and they want to advance their own wealth. The best way for them to do that is to lie to you and claim that they are trying to save this country and thus this planet. 
That's the best way to get a whole bunch of very shallow thinkers on board with them. It works. They're good at it. But we're here to tell the truth. We are here every single day for three hours a day to tell the truth. They are not here to save the country. They are not here to save the planet. They are doing nothing but harming people, countries, uh, cultures, all in an interest of serving their own most base, selfish desires, power and wealth. Make no mistake about it, it's power and it's wealth. We're going to be discussing all of that this morning with you and with a couple of guests. Coming up in uh, about uh, half an hour, we're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. He is, of course, our fourth uh, congressional district representative. He is also uh, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, which is a pretty big deal. And we're going to be talking with uh, Congressman Jordan about a whole host of things, including, and maybe most importantly, um, the assault on this country by way of mandate after admissions by the federal government that they knew full full well that the um, that the uh, ma- the uh, mandated shots were not going to work. Let me say that again. Dr. Deborah Burks is going to be one of our lead stories here. Dr. Deborah Burks, who is one of the lead um, physicians, if you will, establishing COVID policy. She was there under President Trump. She was there under uh, pre- uh, President Biden. And she admitted that she knew full well that these shots were not going to work, and yet the federal government mandated them anyway. And we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that. That is extraordinarily important. Biden's COVID diagnosis came after Fauci's COVID diagnosis, and both of them have been shot four times. Both of them, shots and boosters, wearing masks, and it doesn't work. It doesn't stop it. It's not going to stop it. And so what justification is there to return to mandates? to return to mandated shots or to continue mandated shots for federal employees and people who work with them. So we're going to talk to Jim Jordan about that. We're also going to talk to Jim Jordan about whether or not the mainstream media even noticed that there was an attempt on a Republican member of Congress and a gubernatorial candidate's life. Did you know that? If I don't tell you his name, and I just just say right now, do you know what member of Congress was nearly stabbed to death. What member of Congress was attacked with a blade, an edged weapon, and thank goodness the attacker was tackled before he could stab this individual? Do you know who he is? Chances are you don't. And the reason why is it is getting no coverage whatsoever. It is just a uh, what? What happened over there? I, we got we got uh, you know we got planet uh, uh, climate crises to deal with here. I don't know what happened over there, because it was a member of Congress, and it's the second conservative or Republican or however you want to term it in the last month to have an assassination attempt against them. You know, one would think that this would draw a lot of attention, but because they are conservative or conservative-minded or were appointed by conservatives, and you know I'm referring to Brett Kavanaugh, Supreme Court Justice, who was uh, appointed and nominated to the court by President Trump. He, There was an attempt on his life. Now there's an attempt on this individual's life. You would think that that would kind of warrant some coverage, but since they're conservatives, it doesn't matter. Kill them, stab them, shoot them, do whatever it is you want to do to them, the left believes, because the less of them there are, the less trouble that they have advancing their world agenda. And I'm sorry if that sounds cynical. I I stand by that belief. If this individual was a Democrat member of Congress and some Republican MAGA hat wearer jumped up on a stage at an event with a bladed weapon and said, you're done, you're done, 
in an attempt to stab them and then was tackled and stopped from carrying out the murder? It's 24-7. It's radical white extremists. It's, it's, it's uh, militias. It's uh, you know Trump supporters. It's neo-Nazis. It's all of these things that are the most dangerous thing, these domestic terrorists trying to kill um, you know, serving members of Congress with whom they disagree. It would be a blank storm. It would cause these individuals who are being attacked. It's kind of like when Steve Scalise was shot. Because these individuals are being, like when Rand Paul got beat up in his own front yard. Because it's conservative Republicans who are have in the crosshairs, literally in the crosshairs of radical, wild extremist leftists. No one is covering it. And I think that's just shameful. It's more than shameful. It's dangerous. So we're going to talk to uh, Jim Jordan about that coming up at uh, 9.35. Then at 10.35, an hour later, is she perhaps the front runner for the Democrats in 2024? If Joe Brandon is forced to not run again because of his age and his health and for, quite frankly, doing just such a pathetically horrific job uh, that he has done, and Kamala Harris can't do the job because she is just so completely outside of her mind i mean honestly she she's just so lost um who do they go who do they turn to well joel gilbert is the author of michelle obama 2024 her real life story and her plan for power this is also a documentary film michelle obama 2024 that uh, gilbert has put together we're going to talk to him about it at uh 10 10 this morning I'm sorry, 10.35 this morning, beg your pardon. So there you go. Jim Jordan and Joel Gilbert will be our guests. I want you to be a guest, too. 216-901-0945, Either one of those numbers will bring you here, and we'll put you up and on the radio. For now, though, I'd like to ask you to stand as we get our program started with our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a patriot, stand and face your flag wherever you may be. If you're driving, you are excused, but maybe put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are... A believer in the Democrats' plans to declare needless emergencies, and I'm talking about a long list of emergencies, all in a blatant uh, uh, attempt to grab more political power, then you don't understand what liberty is. You don't understand what that flag represents. And if you don't understand what that flag represents, you are exempted from my request for you to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may indeed take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback or your favorite ex-women soccer player or maybe your fa- uh, favorite uh, Ex WNBA player currently being held in a Russian jail. Uh, yeah, that's how they felt about it. Uh, go ahead and take a knee next to them. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. We got glitches here. With liberty and justice. It was a good rally at the end, though. That's pretty good stuff. When you you get a glitch, you got a mic problem, and because we have like a live guy who stands here and says that every day, right? You believe that, don't you? Uh, no, but uh, we battled through it and we made it to the end of the pledge. Sorry about that glitch. Uh, top stories this morning. Among the top stories, rather this morning. What I just said before the pledge. I always try to work the pledge into the news of the day, and I work the news of the day into the pledge. Democrats, this is a terrific piece in the New York Post, really laying it all out yesterday. Democrats declare needless emergencies. Emergencies on COVID, emergencies on monkeypox, 
which is essentially an STD transmitted through homosexual sex. That's that's reality. That's they will tell you this, but they're calling it a national emergency anyway, as if to say that huh? Huh? is the entire nation engaging in homosexual activity with strangers. Is that am I understanding that right? But they're calling it an emergency anyway, and of course an emergency on COVID, all in a naked attempt to grab and harness more power. Last week, Biden considered declaring a climate change emergency. That may indeed come today. That may come today. They cannot enact climate change legislation. They can't get enough votes to do it through the legislative process, so they want to work around, which is skip the legislature, skip the Congress, and let the president executive order his way into a Green New Deal and into the destruction of this country and the starvation of millions. I want to say that again, and I want to say it slower so you don't think I just said it in in a passing manner that was careless and without thought. I want you to know that I said it, and I meant it, and I'll say it again. What the president is trying to do through the Green New Deal and through any climate change emergency is to destroy the United States of America's economy and to starve millions of people. That's what I said, and that's what I meant, because that is exactly what the outcome would and will be. If there is a climate change emergency, one that includes carbon taxes on the American people, one that includes factory farmers being being run off of their land, millions of people will starve. This country will never, ever recover. This is not hyperbole. This is not an exaggeration. This is reality. Biden wants to control, along with his other fellow globalists, within his administration and without, wants to control the American way of life, the American economy, the American's budget, the American uh, type of food that you eat. This is big government writ Extra large and running rampant over the rights of the individuals who were handed control of this country by the founding fathers. That's right. The people who were handed power here were not the government. The people who were handed power here were the people. And the people were the ones in charge of the government, not the government being in charge of the people. Yet this is where we sit. Putting aside, writes the Post, that there's no evidence that any climate proposals, even the radical Green New Deal, would have any effect on global climate change. Declaring something an emergency when it is not is simply a naked power grab. Boom. The president's confusion over what constitutes an emergency is understandable. We've been living under just this kind of anti-democratic dictate for more than two years. When COVID hit in early 2020, it was easy to understand why governments declared emergencies across the country. A new virus was spreading, and people had no idea what it was. We allowed our elected officials extra powers to deal with it. That was a mistake. And I'm going to pause there and remind you of who was pushing against that at the time. We knew it was a mistake. Listeners of this program, listeners to most of the the programs across Salem Media, told you that this was a mistake that allowing people like uh, like uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York and people like uh, Gavin Newsom in, uh, in, in California and people like Pritzker in, in uh, Illinois, and yes, Democrats with ours after the names like Mike DeWine here in Ohio, allowing them to shut down our lives, to declare who and what was essential and who and what was not, to declare who and what got to live and which ones did not, which businesses got to survive, which ones had to die. 
which jobs were allowed to be saved, which ones had to go, which schools were allowed to stay open and which ones weren't, which students were allowed to be educated, which ones were not. To allow that kind of massive power to be put in the hands of people like this was a massive mistake. And we didn't say it six months after the fact. We didn't say it a year and a half with hindsight being 2020 vision. A year and a half later, we said it during the crisis. As each individual, um, you know, each day went by and each individual action in New Order was given by DeWine and Amy Acton here in Ohio and in the other places, what did we do on this program? We told you the danger that this came with and how unnecessary it was as well. And now here we are. Now we do have hindsight. Now we do have 2020 vision. Even those who didn't understand it at the time can look at it and say, this is dangerous. This was dangerous, and it puts us in a position where precedent has not been set. And if people do not wake up, smack themselves in the face with reality, and alert themselves to the fact that precedent has been set, and it's going to happen again, then it will indeed happen again. Governor Kathy Hochul in New York has been extending her emergency powers every month since she declared a state of emergency in November in response to Omicron. Every single month, new powers given to the the executive in New York. This is not just going on in New York. This is going on all around the country where Democrats are in power. This is a blatant power grab. The declaration of a... Of a, of a uh, COVID emergency, the declaration of a climate change emergency, all of these things are nothing but naked grabs for power. And who's making that grab? People who lied to you. People who lied to you and ruined Americans' lives for two years over COVID, knowing full well that the vaccines that were being pushed would not work. How do we know that? Well, because some of them are admitting it now. And I'll share that with you right after this. It's 923. This is Always Right Radio. Loaded up and ready to go on this Monday, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Manufactured emergencies, fake emergencies, created emergencies. This is what the left does. They try to put you in a state of panic. They use propaganda and weaponize it like nobody has since Goebbels. Seriously, no one weaponizes propaganda quite like the American left does. They, they, they create these emergencies, and they have to now essentially, in some circumstances, admit their own lies. On Friday, Dr. Deborah Burks, who is the head of the NIAID, it's the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, she was kind of like, you know, number two. If, if Fauci was Dr. Science, you know, she was, you know, assistant Dr. Science, I guess. Anyway, she was on on Friday with Neil Cavuto on uh, Fox, and she made an alarming announcement, a stunning announcement, because this announcement was an admission. She made an admission that you really have to hear. I want to get your take on a lot of people looking at the president now having this and all these people who have been fully vax- vaccinated and, and boosted and all of that, and they're getting it. The 20 percent or so of Americans who have not been vaccinated might look at that doctor and say, well, why bother? Why bother? What do you, what do you tell them? 
Well, if you're across the South um, and you're in the middle of this wave, what's going to save you right now is Paxlovid. But once we get through this wave during that law, you should get vaccinated and boosted because we do believe it will protect you, particularly if you're over 70. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines and it made people then worry that it's not going to protect against severe disease and hospitalization. It will. But let's be very clear. 50% of the people who died from the Omicron surge were older. You heard it correctly, but I will play it again so that you can absorb it, remember it, and share it. In that law, you should get vaccinated and boosted because we do believe it will protect you, particularly if you're over 70. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And if you're over 70, if you're over 70, I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines. These vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines in 770. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines, and it made people then. I just want to create a loop, and I want to play it over and over and over again. One of the chief architects of the American COVID response policy was Dr. Deborah Burks. And she said, I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and we overplayed the vaccines. She knew it. That means she lied. And how many people, how many people suffered adverse events who are still suffering today from taking injections that were never going to stop them from becoming infected. How many people lost their jobs? How many people lost their health? How many people lost their lives? How many businesses were shut down? How many? She knew this was not going. How many people have, have had their lives turned upside down by forced vaccination that she said was not going to work and she knew it from the beginning vaccines were not going to protect against infection and i think we overplayed the vaccines and how is she not in prison how is fauci not in prison how is biden not in prison for these forced vaccinations we'll talk more about this with congressman jordan after this on always right radio Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 938 now, always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's welcome back in on a Monday for uh, for this week, uh, his regular time, Congressman Jim Jordan, our fourth congressional district representative and the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, welcome back. Hope you had a great weekend. I did, Bob. Hope you did uh, as well. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, as always. So I, I'm just uh, stunned by this admission. I w- I've been talking this morning, and I'm sure you have been uh, paying attention to this as well, the number of emergencies that the left is trying to declare in order to essentially you know, expand power, and that's all this is, declaring emergencies on climate, declaring emergencies on monkeypox, de- declaring emergencies on COVID and the new variant or subvariant. 
I was blown away by this admission on Friday from Dr. Deborah Burks. Dr. Burks is kind of like if, if Fauci was Dr. Science, as he declared, she was like, you know, the assistant Dr. Science, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. And she had admitted this on Friday. Yeah, these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And I think we overplayed the vaccines. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection. And we overplayed these vaccines. Let's marry that clip to this one from the press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who says... This is, uh, you know, everyone was... At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Congressman Jordan, if the doctors who were responsible for this knew that this was not an actual vaccine that would inoculate you against infection... If the government, uh, like Corinne yep. Jean-Pierre speaking for the president, says everyone's going to get COVID, then how on earth can they justify the ongoing mandates that exist for federal employees, military personnel, and obviously yeah, even exactly contracted right. employees who are working for the government in some capacity? How do they justify a mandate? Well, they can. And, and go tell that last line that, that the, the, the press uh, secretary for the president said, go tell that to the hundreds of airline pilots in our military or fighter pilots and and other personnel in our military who've been who've been forced to leave that that is just ridiculous but remember it was six weeks ago i asked uh miss burks dr burks in a hearing i asked her i said when the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't get the virus were they guessing or lying and her answer then was i don't know now she says over this week she says we knew so why didn't you tell me under oath if she knew, why didn't she tell me that then when I asked her the question? Um, so this is um, this is our government, and it, 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 it's frightening that they've misled us on this and, and who knows what else uh, uh, as well. Well, you know, that's the key there. The key word, of course, is misled. It's not like that. You know, we really thought this was going to work, and we were just wrong. Now we got to recalibrate with new information. She's admitting she knew from the start that this was not going to prevent infection, but yet that's where there are videos. You've probably seen them and heard them countless numbers of times that Joe Biden said, if you get these shots, you won't get infected. Dr. Fauci, if you get these shots, you will not get infected. Uh, Rochelle Walensky at the CDC, if you get... So they've said it over and over and over again. So they were, that means they were knowingly lying. They were literally trying to mislead the American people. And I, I don't know what repercussions or consequences that can come from that. There ought to be something because this is this is extraordinary, the impact it's had on millions and millions of Americans' lives, these lives. We, we should we should pass legislation that says that, that the military, that they, they should be able to kick people out of the military for, for not getting the vaccine. But understand, it wasn't just the vaccine that they misled us on. Remember, they said this thing wasn't gain-of-function research. They said it didn't come from the lab in, in Wuhan, China. It sure looks like it did. They said it wasn't our tax money that was used to finance it. Sure looks like it was. They told us that the vaccinated couldn't get it. The vaccinated couldn't transmit it. They, they, they told us all kinds of things that they told us. They told us masks worked, and they said they didn't, and they said they did. And the one mask, two masks, three masks, no masks. I mean, it's, they've been all over the place. So, And yet they were the, they, these were the same people who were going to set up the government, uh, the disinformation governance board. I mean, like, you got to – you would laugh if this wasn't so serious. So this is what drives Americans crazy. And frankly, why I think in addition to all the bad policy things they've done intentionally on the border and on inflation, on energy and everything else, this is why this mis- misleading and misinforming the American people is why um, 90% of the country thinks we're headed on the wrong track and why I think, as we've talked about many times before, that there's going to be a big change in the midterm elections. Yeah, and we'll come back to that in a moment here. Last thing on this health situation again. 
it's a it's a blatant power grab. Um, there were, as of Friday, according to the CDC, two thousand eight hundred ninety one confirmed cases of monkeypox. Doesn't matter. That's it, by the way, that's two thousand eight hundred out of a population of three hundred thirty three hundred forty million people. Just to throw that out there, <laughs> yeah. and it's a disease, exactly. by the way, that is spread according to the doctors, uh, primarily by homosexual contact among gay and bisexual men. And yet, yeah. the the director of the World Health Organization has declared that this is an emergency, a global emergency. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but I, I think something that is limited specifically to a very, very tiny demographic of the population, and it takes some extraordinary actions between them to get this and then to spread it. I don't know that I see a global emergency here. What I do see is another re- attempt to, again, uh, regulate people's lives. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in with some of these this, these, these organizations. This is the same World Health Organization that you know shilled for uh, China, let China lie to us, and everything else. I think Americans, you know, take it for what it is. Uh, my concern, well, you know, what's next? Are they going to they going to you know um, say because of this we have to take some sort of kind of action? That, that, I mean, who knows? But well, yeah, I, I it, it is. That, that's the fear. Is- that's the fear. You and I talked about this back in May. You and I talked about this, how uh, the Biden administration not only signed on, but actually proposed amendments to the WHO that would give full power to the WHO uh, leader, Tedros. I don't even yeah, try to say what, his last right. name. Right. You remember that? Yeah. In, to, to declare yeah. in, yeah, in right. other countries, in member nations who are part of the WHO, what they should do in response to a global emergency if they themselves <laughs> declare it. And so yeah, here we sit. What, what are they going to tell us to do? Yeah, yeah, just what we want this 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 international body you know, having more more influence. Holy cow! So uh, who knows what they'll try? The, the, here's the good news, Bob. Um, the country's not going to stand for it. But they were like, we are so fed up with all the. They're just the the, the good people. Of this great country aren't going to stand for it. And that's 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 what I take consolation in. And uh, and and I just I just I just don't see it happening. Congressman, several weeks ago, we're talking to Congressman Jim Jordan, the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. Several weeks ago, a sitting justice on the Supreme Court of the United States, Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. um, the, uh, was was uh, there was an attempt on his life. There was an attempted murder. Literally, the individual who uh, went to his home is now facing attempted murder charges. Um, just uh, a couple of days ago, a sitting member of the United States House of Representatives and a candidate for governor of the state of New York, yep. there was an attempt on his life. A, a nut with a blade, an edged weapon, jumped up onto his platform, declared, you're done, and tried to stab him before he was tackled. First of all, um, most Americans have no idea who it is because the mainstream media is not covering it. I want you to talk about that fact. Second of all, is it open season on conservatives? When will the leftists in power do or say something to stop this insanity of, we don't agree with you, we can't defeat your ideas, so we're going to try to kill you? Yeah. Um, well, first thing, Lee is a good man. He's a colleague of mine and, and, and just a, a great member of Congress, and I hope he's going to be the next uh, governor of New York, and it was. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy that he's safe. Uh, and then, frankly, I, I think another thing that's real important, and I made this on a show over the weekend. At this point, is that after that attack, uh, that attempt on his life <clears throat> happened, um, Lee Zeldin got back up and finished his remarks. Once they dealt with this this crazy guy, he got back up. That, that shows the kind of leader he is. But you're right, the left, the um, the left seems to. You know, you and I have condemned violence every time it happened. We say this all the time. We condemned it when it happened on January 6th. We condemned it when it happened in the summer of 2020 all over this country in so many urban uh, areas. 
and, and we, we condemn it when it, when it was the, the crazy guy who went after, uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh and of course this, this past weekend after, um, Congressman uh, Zeldin. It would be nice if the left did the same. But remember what Nancy Pelosi did when, when there was the assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh four weeks before that. Four weeks before that, there had been a bill passed the Senate which would give added protection to justices' families, and she held it up. And during that time, during that four weeks, is when the assassination attempt happened, and finally they passed the legislation. So that, that, that I think, just exemplifies the, the sort of cavalier attitude the left has towards this. And in some ways, when you think about what Chuck Schumer said on the steps of the United States Supreme Court yeah. – um, it's scary because it seems like it may encourage these crazy people. So um, that's a concern. Let's hope that the uh, the folks on the left will actually understand how serious this is and begin to condemn it uh, across the board, like you and I have. But it's not even it's not even making its way to the television screens. You we we would be in twenty four seven coverage if oh. a MAGA if a MAGA hat wearer went after Elena Kagan or Sonia Sotomayor, God forbid, anybody on the court yep. with that you know twenty four seven coverage. And if this was if if Lee Zeldin was a liberal Democrat who was a you know a pro abortionist and so forth, again was attacked by a MAGA hat wearing pro lifer trying trying to uh, stab uh, him to death. Uh, again, that's what it would be. But it's almost seems like they don't care enough to cover it. Ah, it's only Steve Scalise who got shot. Ah, it's only Brett yeah, Kavanaugh. I... It's only Lee Zeldin. It, it, and, and it's just, it happens far too many times. Congressman, let me ask you directly. You've got to be a target. You are one of the most vocal, one of the most effective conservative members of Congress. You are a pain in their rear. You get attacked on a routine basis online like nobody else. I mean, I, I would have to think, man, they stabbed Lee Zeldin, or tried to stab Lee Zeldin. I mean, how, how do you go through your day? Do you, do, do you, are you concerned about these kind of things, since it seems to be happening only to conservatives? Well, I, I, to be honest with you, Bob, I, I, I just, we don't talk about it. Uh, I, 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 our office doesn't. We, we, um, we think it's best off if you don't bring it up. Uh, on, uh, you, you know, we just, we, just, we just don't do it. And then we, we take into... Um, and to account all that, and we we take the proper measures to uh, to give security that I think is is needed for um, that we think is needed. Um, so I, that that's sort of the attitude we've taken. We well, just, I'm, we I'm just sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry I brought it up then. Yeah, I didn't no, really put fine. you in no, the spot. I, I, but I worry about I worry about you, and I worry about well, people like you that. because of the. I mean, what they're doing is unhinged okay um you know it's yep. the kind of thing again if this was being done by by anybody else they you know by somebody on the right to somebody on the left they would be calling them white supremacists you know domestic terrorists oh, uh, yeah. you know they were you know a fascist all of this stuff would be going on and and in fact it's coming the other way around and they're targeting only conservatives so i think about people like you and i worry about you so i'm i'm glad well, you guys don't talk that. about it but you know i, I I'm, I'm sure you got measures in place but man this is just nuts um what else is nuts is uh, uh the president of the united states from his uh, covid um, uh, quarantine if you will um taking a victory lap again every time i turn on uh, twitter and, and and i see uh, the the president tweeting it's 64 cents it's fallen 64 cents in the last 34 days they're celebrating gas that is four dollars uh and 40 cents a gallon on average because it's not five dollars on average anymore uh, how do you take a victory lap for falling gas prices after you denied that rising gas prices were in your control yeah, I mean, this is Joe Biden. They're trying to redefine what a recession is. If you, if you see this, uh, this that was the next question. You got today. it. Yeah, they're trying to redefine that. They they will say the craziest things. Nothing makes sense from these people. And and frankly, 
Uh, they have nothing else to talk about, so they're going to talk about when, when gas prices go down a little bit, they're going to take credit for that and talk about that, and they're going to talk about January 6th because they can't, as we've said before, they can't talk about the border. They can't talk about energy overall. They can't talk about a 41-year high inflation rate. They can't talk about what they're doing to our First, Second, and Fourth Amendment liberties. They can't talk about uh, foreign policy because that's been a debacle. So they got nothing else. Oh, the, the price of gas went down a few cents. God bless America, they say. So, um, yeah, this is the left. But, uh, again, I, I always come back to the point that the American people are smart people. They have common sense. They know what's going on. There's a reason 9 out of 10 of our fellow citizens think the country's on the wrong track because they know instinctively that it is. And they are, I think, going to make a, a real change uh, in this, uh, this year's uh, midterm election. Um. We have to throw in Alan Ayer, or Ayer, I'm not sure how to say his name. Senior State Department Foreign Service Officer Alan Ayer tweeted on Friday as they were celebrating, the uh, as Biden continued to celebrate a few cents less uh, per gallon and claiming how this is such a great thing for Americans. Uh, Senior State Department Foreign Service Officer Alan Ayer, quote, I prefer high gas prices, equals less driving, equals less CO2. That's the quiet part, yeah, Lord. isn't it? That's the quiet part. Yeah, sure That's is. a Biden official, uh, uh, administration official saying, I prefer high gas prices because it's going to force people like Pete Booty Judge says into EVs or, or alternative energy. And, and this is, that, that attitude is what ticks me off more than anything else because the, that, the, those statements typically come from people who live in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, D.C., where they can Uber and taxi or have their own private little limo driver, whatever they have, or government driver, and then out here in God's country where you have a pickup truck because you got to drive to the farm or drive to the construction site or drive to the, to the manufacturing plant, or, or you're a trucker who's hauling goods for those people who live in those fancy places and take the Uber all the time. That is what they don't get, and that, that attitude, that, that, that derision they have for us regular folk who live out here in hillbilly land, as they like to think, that just ticks me off. Cause, and, and I tell you what, though, the American people are so fed up with that arrogant attitude that Al Gore and John Kerry and these people have, they're, they're going to push back again in a big way. I, uh, I can only hope they do exactly that, because we are fed up with it, no question about it. Congressman Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. Always appreciate your time, sir. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again. You bet. Take care, Bob. There's Jim Jordan. It's uh, 9.53. I was going to play this, but I didn't want to take up uh, any more of his talk time there. But you probably have have seen this as we talked about uh, Deborah Burke's lie about how um, getting shots and getting boosters would would, uh, stop infection. And she admitted that she knew that they wouldn't. But you remember everybody who said that they would, right? You remember all of these world leaders? Let me see if I can make this play real quick. All right. Now, maybe I can't. Let's try it. Hold on one more time here. COVID, if you have these vaccinations. Hey, folks, guess you heard. Let's start it over. You're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Hey, folks, guess you heard. This morning I tested positive for COVID. And when people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. Dr. Fauci says he has COVID again. If you've done the right thing and gotten vaccinated, you deserve the freedom to be safe from COVID-19. And this morning, I learned, I I tested positive for COVID-19 as well. And the three doses that can be prevented, not just from serious illness, but from 
getting this virus, this Omicron variant, and therefore giving it to others. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews is in quarantine for seven days after testing positive to COVID. So I, I'm fully vaccinated. It gives me some comfort. Anthony Albanese has just tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, having received two doses of AstraZeneca, it's a very effective vaccine protection from symptomatic illness and therefore risk of transmission to others. You're okay. those, were, not... those are leaders, world leaders in the United States, in Great Britain, in Australia, and in Canada. All leaders who said, if you take these shots, you won't get infected. And then all of them saying, yes, I have become infected. We've been played, we've been lied to, and they continue to push these mandates. My friends, we've got a country to save. I'm going to steal that line from Larry, at least he's... As long as he's not using it. Always right radio, AM 1420, the answer. With the sound of speech, machine guns ready to go. Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? Out of the dark way, the bullets rip. To the sound of the beat, yeah. Another one bites the dust. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth. Or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420. The answer. I don't think it's possible really to overstate the importance of what we're being now told by the Biden administration. The truth coming out, whether it's by intent or not, the truth is coming out that they knew full well, they knew full well that the vaccines that they were mandating, telling people jab or job, it's that simple, take the jab or lose your job, that the vaccines they were mandating did not prevent infection. And if they did not prevent infection, that is the spread of the virus, then why on earth could they have been mandated? They've known from the beginning. They've known from the beginning that this was not, quote, safe and effective. That the lies about about taking the shot will save you. You won't get infected. The virus dies with you. On and on and on they went. They knew this was a lie, and they forced it upon us by way of mandate anyway. Yeah, we yeah, we know you did. We know you did, Dr. Burks. Hold on a second. Let's make sure that's right. Yeah, go ahead. I knew these vaccines were not going to protect against infection, and I think we overplayed the vaccines. I mean, that admission should put every one of them in prison, honestly. And then there's Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary. The voice of Joe Biden when Joe Biden's not there. That's what he is. That's what her job is. By the way, did I admit, did you know she's gay and she's black? You got to note that and make sure you know that she's historic. She's gay and she's black. And she also said it. We knew this was going to happen. As Dr. Jha said, uh, you know, when he was when he joined me at the briefing uh, in the briefing room uh, not too long ago, he said this is this is, uh, you know, everyone was at some point everyone's going to get COVID. Could you repeat that? At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. One more time. At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Did you say? At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. 
But if you really believe that... At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Then why would you be mandating vaccines? At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Why would you be mandating masks? At some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Now, who did you say say told you this? Karine Jean-Pierre? Dr. Ja? The official White House physician? That guy? Dr. Ja told you that? Okay. Well, let's see what he has to say for himself about it. Here's the president from one year ago, uh, Dr. Fauci from a few months ago, and then the White House press secretary on Thursday. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Virtually everybody is going to wind up getting exposed and likely get infected. This is, this is uh, you know, everyone was, at some point, everyone's going to get COVID. Now, understanding that the virus evolves and there's been more uh, contagious variants presenting milder symptoms over time. If the last two sound bites are accurate, Dr. Shah, why are there mandates, vaccine mandates, mask mandates, if everybody's going to get this thing? Yeah, so a couple of things. First is, um, right now we do have an extraordinarily contagious variant, the BA5, that, that looks like that's the one that also infected the president. Uh, it is widespread. The number one goal is to make sure that if people get infected, uh, that they don't end up in the hospital, they don't end up dying. That is. That was not the number one goal. You blatant liar. The White House COVID response coordinator is Dr. Ashish Jha. Dr. Ashish Jha now wants you to believe that the number one goal was to prevent you from being hospitalized and dying. The number one goal was to stop the spread of COVID. It's exactly what you all told us when this was created and forced and rushed to market. This is exactly what you told us. That was the number one goal. Don't change the game now. It doesn't work that way. You can't play it both sides. You have to, you have to, you have to stick with what you said at the beginning. And if it didn't work, then admit you were wrong. It didn't work. Don't tell us what the, the goal has always been. The BA5, that, that looks like that's the one that also infected the president. Uh, it is widespread. The number one goal is to make sure that if people get infected, uh, that they don't end up in the hospital, they don't end up dying. That is the number one policy goal we have. I think it's the right policy goal. It was never the policy goal. It was never the policy goal. It was to stop the spread of this infectious disease. That's why six feet apart, which was a nonsense, made-up, student-led, ridiculous idea. That's why the idea that paper masks or cloth masks, which have porous openings much, much larger than the size of the tiny particles of the virus. That's why you, you, you said these things were going to stop infection, stop the spread. You said that the vaccines were going to kill the virus within you. You can't share it with anybody else. Don't lie to us now. And the best ways of achieving that are making sure people are vaccinated and boosted. Uh, and then obviously, if you're at all... That achieves nothing, you bald-faced liar. I'm so tired of the federal government urinating on my leg and telling me it's raining. I can tell the difference. You told us it would stop the spread. You told us it would stop infection so that we don't have to worry about getting sick. You told us if we get these shots, we don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore. 
I know. I was there. I heard it time and time again. You said it. Biden said it. Rochelle Walensky said it. You had virtually everybody in the left-wing mass media saying it. You even had former President Trump saying it. Remember, President Trump took massive credit for Operation Warp Speed and the development of these vaccines, which are going to stop the spread. They were all wrong. The only difference is now you're lying about it and telling us you knew. But you, or excuse me, uh, Dr. Birx is actually coming clean now and saying, yeah, I knew. And then you got Ja, who's lying to us and telling us, no, the number one goal was never to stop the spread. It was to stop you from going to the hospital. My President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, as we well know, it's been reported he's fully vaccinated. He's been twice boosted. You're okay. You're not going to, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. He's fully vaccinated. You're okay. Twice boosted. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. He's fully vaccinated. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. He's been twice boosted. There's no excuse. No excuse for anyone being unvaccinated. He's fully vaccinated. This continues to be a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Twice boosted. Essentially, vaccines block you from getting and giving. Um, the virus positive for COVID-19 pandemic of the unvaccinated. He's fully vaccinated. You're okay. Twice boosted. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. He's fully vaccinated. There's no excuse. Twice boosted. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. Positive for COVID-19. You're okay. You're not going to. You're not going to get COVID. He's fully vaccinated. You want to be a dead end to the virus. Twice boosted. So when the the virus gets to you, you stop it. Biden has tested positive. The virus stops for COVID-19. Vaccinated people don't get sick. Fully vaccinated. They are not going to get infected. Twice. Vaccines block you from getting boosted and giving um, the virus. You're okay. 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 Twice boosted. And as long as we're on lies being told to expand power, let's never forget this. This is going on right now. The planet has a fever. If your baby has a fever, you go to the doctor. You, you take action. The planet has a fever. And five now, the planet has a fever. We're going to address that one coming right up as we continue Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Such an astounding thing to uh, to hear all of these lies, all of these lies being told in and again again in an attempt to do nothing but expand power, and that's got to bring us to to Al Gore. The former vice president, who, by the way, was the first, uh, well, I shouldn't say the first, but he was certainly up until um, Hillary screaming that the Russians stole the election from her in 2016 to President Trump challenging the, uh, the results in 2020. Al Gore was the OG of I'm not accepting the, uh, you know, the loss. 
uh, to, to George W. Bush. But that's not what he's best known for. Of course, what he is best known for is trying to convince everybody back in 2000 that the, the entire eastern seaboard would be underwater. I think he said in 10 years. Didn't he say like by, 20, by 2010 or 2012 or something like that? The entire eastern seaboard was going to be underwater. It's all going to end. All of the oceans are going to rise because of the global warming melting the glaciers. The global warming melting the polar ice caps. Global warming was going to kill us all. This is going on right now. The planet has a fever. If your baby has a fever, you go to the doctor. 22 years later, by the way, Al Gore is still flying private. <laughs> Stop right there, and the segment could be over. He's still flying on his private jet rather than commercial with a whole bunch of other people so they can share the ride and thus share the amount of fuel used and thus share the economic impact of the carbon emissions. Nope, fly still flies private. Tucker did a really good segment on this, by the way, the other night, in which he talked about all of the leftists who have been buying up property on the coasts. <laughs> That's where they all live. That's where most of the leftists in the country live anyway. They live on the eastern seaboard. They live in, you know, uh, in, in uh, uh, New York City. They live in Boston. They live in, you know, the eastern seaboard, you know, areas. Or they live in the west coast. They live on in L.A. They live in San Diego. They live in San Francisco. They're all on the coast of the oceans that are supposed to be withering away. They're eroding, and the oceans are rising, and yet they continue to build. Obama's building another mansion. Uh, they continue to build right where they say everything is going to collapse. That lets you know they're full of you-know-what. That's how you know the most. Look at where they spend their money and look at how they live their lives. They continue to fly private. They continue to have a massive, massive carbon footprint, so much bigger than you, I, or anybody else could ever have. And yet they're telling us that this is going to kill the planet, which is going to kill all of us. Well, Al Gore is back at it again. Al Gore is now using the tragic shooting of the children and the teachers in the Uvalde school building. He's using that and exploiting it for his climate change message. Have you heard this yet? You might want to sit down for it because it's repugnant, but this is what they are. Niars are really in some ways similar to... You didn't hear what the first word there was. I don't know why it got cut off, but he said climate deniers. Climate deniers. Now let's hear it again. Deniers uh, uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas, who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. They heard the screams. They heard the gunshots. And uh, nobody stepped forward. And God bless those families who've suffered so much. And law enforcement officials tell us that's not typical of what uh, law enforcement usually does. And confronted with this global emergency, what we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings we do have the solutions and i think these extreme events that are getting steadily worse and more severe are really beginning to change minds the president so former vice president al gore the chicken little in chief the global warming alarmist really to who kind of started it all or at least 
over the course of the last couple of decades. Obviously, this has been going on since, you know, well before that. I mean, we've been told since the 70s that the earth was going to freeze, then the earth was going to melt, then acid rain was going to kill everyone, then the hole in the ozone layer. Uh, in, in fact, Al Gore said himself, I just got the, uh, uh, the specific year, he also said in 2009 that by 2013, the North Pole would be ice-free. <laughs> global warming. He said in 2009 that by 2013, so four years later, the North Pole would be ice-free. Well, 2013 is nine years ago. Um, has anybody flown and, and taken, a, taken a look yet over to see if there's any ice left in the North Pole? Because Al Gore wants you to believe that there won't be, that there wouldn't be, rather. And yet, once again, here we are. And he's still flying private. And he's still living uh, his, his life the way that he does, with a massive carbon footprint. Now he's going on national television on Meet the Press and claiming that climate deniers are like law enforcement officers who won't save kids. And this is an astounding thing. At what point do we stop listening to liars who have agendas? At what point do we stop letting them establish policy for all of us? Let me share another clip with you. This is a uh, an energy expert named Alex X, uh, Epstein, who was on with uh, Dan Bongino on Fox News this weekend. And you know how the left is pushing EV, 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 batteries, right? Batteries for everything. Batteries, 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 electric batteries. We don't need fossil fuels, just use batteries, batteries, batteries. Never mind the fact that none of these numbskulls, and I mean these are serious quarter wits that we're talking about here, have any earthly idea how those batteries are made and where the components for them come from and how they are charged and powered and where electricity comes from. Never mind that. But they're all about batteries, 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 batteries. Well, energy expert Alex Epstein addressed the question of what it would be like for the world to be run on batteries as opposed to the fossil fuels that it has been run on really since uh, you know we, the technology existed. Listen. I'll give you another data point on batteries. I, Elon Musk is always claiming the world can run on solar and batteries, so I ran the numbers with his best Tesla Megapack prices. And to power the whole world, as in to back up the world supply for three days, which is the minimum you would need, it would take $400 trillion. So unless you're dealing in Zimbabwe currency, uh, it doesn't work at all. And you're right. I mean, this is really about life and death. Think about it. Europe right now is talking about about not being able to keep themselves warm in the winter. What is this, 1840? How are we possibly living in this world? And the reason is we know how to produce energy largely using fossil fuels, but we're forcibly preventing ourselves from doing it. And even worse, we're preventing the poorest people in the world from doing it by telling them to somehow go green when we obviously can't. Yeah, I... So that is, a, that is an astounding number there. To, to run the world that is currently run on fossil fuels on batteries and solar power, it would cost roughly $400 trillion. You can't imagine that number. Don't try. You can't. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like a unicorn. It's like that kind of money doesn't exist. I mean, just think about what a trillion dollars is. Think about what the federal debt is. Uh, and then, and then multiply that by, you know, by five. Uh, or, no, by more than that, for crying out loud. I'm telling you, you can't, 50. You can't, you can't do it. 400. So you understand the point here. What they want to do is not only physically not possible, it is fiscally not sustainable. It is not able to happen. That's just the reality of it. 
And now the worst part about it is, I've got a clip here, and I'm not going to be able to play it now because i got news here, and i got a guest coming up on the other side, but I'll do it before we're done, of uh, a leftist climate alarmist in, uh, in Ireland who is essentially saying, I've got the solution here. You all don't want to hear it, but I've got the solution here for how we can save our planet. And the answer is to let people starve. That's right. Farming and agriculture must end for the planet to survive, particularly animal farming, but overall agriculture. I'll play that for you, and that one's going to blow your mind. This is what, by the way, these are the kinds of people that Joe Biden is aligning himself with. This is, these are the kinds of people, these climate alarmists, these these green, gangrene, uh, you know, radicals, this is what they actually believe in. That people don't matter, the planet matters. You can suffer so that the planet survives. And never mind, of course, the fact that the United States itself cannot save the planet. No matter if we if we went green on everything that there is to go green on, it wouldn't be able to put a dent in the amount of pollution that comes from China and India alone. The two world the world's two largest polluters. But yeah, let's ruin our lives, let's ruin our way of life, ruin our business, ruin our agri- agriculture, ruin our economies for something that will have no impact whatsoever. That's what the left wants you to do. All right, it's 1030. We'll get our news now. And on the other side of the news, we're going to talk about maybe the next standard bearer to carry the torch of radical extremism for Joe Biden, who simply can't carry it any longer. Is Michelle Obama the Dems hope in 2024? We're going to talk to an author and a filmmaker who says, yeah, she may be. That's coming up on Always Right Radio AM 1420, The Answer. Unreason. Always write radio with Bob Frantz and the answer. 1038 now we continue. Always write radio. So Joe Biden fumbling and flailing and stumbling and being unable to read teleprompters correctly. It is noteworthy that the percentage of women who registered to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. Women are not without electoral and or political or or maybe precise, not and or or political power. Uh, doesn't know where he is most of the time. The number two, which would you would think ascend to the number one, is just a blithering idiot. You know, when we talk about our children, I know for this group, we all believe that when we talk about the children of the community, they are the children of the community. Of course, if you are going to be an idiot, I, I, I do prefer you go full-blown full uh, blithering. And she does that well. Um, the left is in a very, very bad place right now. Who are they going to run in 2024 if they can't run Biden for re-election and they can't run Kami because she's an idiot? Who are they going to run? Well, some people have an idea. <laughs> 
they could run Michelle Obama. And if they do... Welcome Michelle Obama! Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in America. You know I hate politics. You can forget about the disclaimer. I'm convinced that Michelle Obama is running for president in 2024. Systemic racism, pepper spray, and rubber bullets on peaceful protesters. She's following the exact same formula that Barack did to become president. Michelle was the keynote speaker at the 2020 Democrat convention, just like Barack was in 2004. Barack once ran a voter registration organization. Now, so does Michelle. That's how we change America. Also, Barack Obama based his candidacy on his personal story. Michelle has done the exact same thing. Those are the words of filmmaker and author Joel Gilbert, whose latest book and film and do indeed predict and chronicle the run for the presidency for Michelle Obama. The book is Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. The documentary film is just Michelle Obama 2024. Joel Gilbert joins us now to talk about the likelihood of all of this. Hey, Joel, how are you? Hey, great to be back. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you back. So, um... This is quite a this is quite a, an astounding thing. Not you know you're not the first person to say hey maybe Michelle Obama. A lot of people are are uh, you know floating that idea out there as a possibility, despite the fact that she has indeed proclaimed in numerous other occasions that she is not about politics. She doesn't want to run for office. Um, you are, however, the most convinced. You're not the first to say it, but you're the one saying it the strongest by writing a book and making this documentary. So let's start out with. What kind of a reputation, Joel, do you think Michelle Obama has with middle America? I'm not talking about coastal America. I'm not talking about uh, leftist America. I'm talking about middle America, which, of course, it took for Joe Biden to be selected in 2020. What kind of a what kind of a, a yeah. rep does she have that you would think this would be something that's so automatic? Yeah, well, Michelle is pretty much the most popular woman in America. She's got over 100 million followers on all her different social media. She's been on covers of all these magazines for 15 years. So she's really uh, spent a lot of time developing that audience. You can look at her Twitter account. She's all politics all the time, but she's also working on that Hillary Clinton crowd, working women, the Oprah crowd, through her books that she wrote. Um, she wrote Becoming, an autobiography, kind of developing that, that core group of, of female voters. So I see Michelle as someone who's... Uh, very popular. Uh, I think when she declares for president, she'll immediately be ahead by 10 or 15 points in every single state uh, just because of the amount of um, positive publicity she's had for so many years. Um, let me question the popularity by way of Twitter followers and social media followers because, as you know, um, there are a whole lot of people who follow, you know, followed President Trump, who hated President Trump. There are a whole lot of leftists who are on Trump's social, which is you know his own platform, just so they can go there and see what the other side is saying and push back against it, troll it, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I know that a lot of people follow her, but to think that they are, they would all vote for her, I think, might be a bit of a stretch, at least at this point. Well, she's got, as I said, almost a hundred million people between Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, because she pretends not to be political, that's uh, people might you might recall back way back in 2008, she was so over the top political every night in Iowa giving these speeches. At one point, she told the crowd, uh, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country. 
and that's when the campaign uh, had to reel her in because she was hurting the campaign because she was so political. So they said, okay, Michelle, now you hate politics and you just want to be the mom in chief. So they kind of made her take a step back. But she's literally been running for president, I think, since uh, since 2016 and developing that audience. And I think her social media followers are largely all uh, supporters or interested in what Michelle has to say. We're talking to filmmaker and author Joel Gilbert. His uh, documentary is Michelle Obama 2024. The book is Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. So let's talk about the plan for power. Right. If she were to run for president and win the presidency, or even if she, let's say, if, if the plan is for her to run for and become the president, would she be the president, or would this just be term number three for Barack Obama and she's the placeholder? Well, I think we're already in term number three for Barack Obama. All the same people have populated the White House, the agencies, of course, led by Susan Rice, who heads up the domestic agenda, even though she was a foreign policy person. So I think most people think this is the third term. Uh, So we'd be looking at the fourth and fifth terms of of the Obama uh, presidency if Michelle were to run and win twice, for example. And, uh, you know, I, I chronicle in my film and book by the way, you can see the film online or get the DVD on SalemNow.com, and the book is on Amazon.com. But she actually has some very deep kind of psychological issues that I, I research in the film. I actually went to Chicago. I talked to her elementary school, high school classmates, teachers, uh, her professor at Harvard, uh, even her, um, her professor at uh, Princeton, her mother. So it's a very deep dive into her background as well as predicting she's going to run for president. And I discover she has some very deep psychological issues that are kind of driving her to seek power and always go to the next level, and we go through that in the film. Tell me, without obviously doing the film here, tell me what you mean by psychological issues. That's a, that's a pretty strong statement. <clears throat> How do you, what do you mean? Yeah, uh, Michelle has uh, multiple issues uh, she's dealing with all her life. Uh, one of them has to do with the fact that she spent her life running away from the black community uh, when she was uh, growing up on the on South Shore. She's actually not from the south side of Chicago. She's from South Shore, which is by the lake. And uh, for high school, she went an hour and a half away from her her uh, community and then got jobs at the, univer- at the um, mayor's office, worked as assistant planning commissioner, uh, taking homes away from black people. They made about 20,000 blacks homeless. She then worked for the University of Chicago Medical Center, uh, where she was in charge of the Southside Health Collaborative, that the whole thing was to deny health care to the Southsiders who were using the emergency room and actually dump them in these crappy clinics. Uh, it was actually illegal. It was called patient dumping. So Michelle spent her life uh, running away from the black community and selling them out. And so she's uh, always trying to kind of pretend to be one of these ordinary black folks that she... Uh, spent her life exploiting. Uh, So that's been a struggle for her. And then secondly, um, she has something called, uh, she even talks about it openly on her Becoming book tour, uh, something called imposter syndrome, where she really doesn't feel she belongs anywhere. and She's always trying to gain more and more acceptance and get people to to recognize that she belongs in any given situation. So uh, that being the case, I think that's why she's always been on all these magazine covers and books and TV shows. It just you just can't stop seeking recognition, and I think the uh, the presidency is the ultimate uh, 
stop for her to, uh, to, to handle that imposter syndrome that she has. We're talking to filmmaker and author Joel Gilbert. Uh, he's got a book and a film out about uh, Michelle Obama, uh, believes fully that she is going to be running for president in 2024. Is she the automatic front runner? You said, I think you said as soon as she announces, she's 10 points ahead. And I just need to throw the names of people like Pete Booty Judge that a lot of leftists want to see the first LGBTQ dude or chick or whatever in the White House. Gavin Newsom is buying ads in, ten- in Texas, of all places. Florida, He's buying Florida. ads across in Florida as well. That's correct. Because uh, he wants to uh, try to spread his name very early in this whole thing. I think everybody expects him to be there as well. Some people have said J.B. Pritzker uh, might be running as well. And then, of course, there's the old standbys. I don't know if... Um, you know, Kamala would, would probably make another run, even though she was out of the last time before we even got to Christmas Day. Uh, she was polling at 1%. Her popularity can't be any higher now. But So we have some old standbys there, some senators and others who will run. So where, where does Michelle Obama slot in with those folks? Yeah, I think those names you mentioned are all pretty much vice presidential uh, possibilities. Uh, they really don't have the national popularity that Michelle does. Michelle Obama can appeal to nostalgia, say, hey, don't you remember how much you love the Obama years and how much you love Barack? And she can appeal to, uh, she can just transcend any policy problems and policy failures because of her, her popularity. So I, I think uh, those other candidates would, would not stand up at all or have any chance. How, uh, how do you think uh, this, this bit of nostalgia will play if she decides she wants to be president of the United States? Well, I think... Uh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I, I had a clip there for you, okay, and it, just, it didn't fire. Here's the nostalgia right. I was referring to. All right. Let me tell you something. For the first time in my adult lifetime, I'm really proud of my country. For the first time as an adult, she was proud of her country only when her husband was elected president. That's an astounding statement for somebody who then is going to want to be president. Yeah, well, well, that statement actually was from uh, when he won the Iowa primary uh, is when that came out, and that's when they Oh, you're kinda... correct. That's right. When he won a primary. When he didn't won the yeah. presidency yet. But he won the primary, and he's a black man, and that was a, that's what made her proud of the country for the first time in her adult right. life. Sorry. Thanks for the correction, but go yeah. on. Yeah, so the, that that's when they kind of reined her back in because it was hurting the campaign because she was so political. Michelle real is all politics all the time. She's That's all she really does. And uh, you can look at any of her social media, and she's always doing, making political comments like she's already president. Uh, so that type of thing, they, they buried it with 15 years of magazine covers and positive media coverage. And I think the media will just jump on any uh, candidacy of Michelle Obama and put it in the most positive light possible. And uh, she'll be a very formidable opponent for any Republican. They're going to have to... Uh, you know, be willing to take her on. The problem is if you take her on, you're going to be called a racist, sexist, and a hater by the media. So it's going to take someone with enough courage to take her on and say things like, uh, you know, Michelle, will you apologize for what you did to the black community in Chicago? Uh, that would open up a whole can of worms. 
But you know, you're right. She automatically has the advantage of being black. She has black privilege. You know, the left likes to use the term white privilege in this country. It's something that I do not believe exists. Black privilege does. If you criticize a black person, you are a racist. If you criticize a gay person, you are a homophobe, even if it has nothing to do with their race or their gender or their identity or anything else. If you criticize them and they're a member of a protected or marginalized class, you are going to be um, destroyed for it. So anybody who runs against a Michelle Obama and now we're, the thing is, it's not just the Republicans. To beat her, Gavin Newsom's going to have to criticize her. To beat her, Pete Buttigieg is going to have to criticize her. Will they receive the labels of racist for attacking an obviously intelligent and qualified black woman? You know, well, it would be racist, sexist, hater, anyone who, who says anything. Uh, the, the funny thing, which I reveal in my film, which I go into great detail, also in my book version, uh, that Michelle is actually more white than she is black. She she really has nothing in common with uh, black voters or black people. She had no experiences uh, with with black people growing up. She always ran away to go study with whites, to work with white people in jobs where they hired her to uh, knock down homes of, of black people, making them homeless, taking away their health care and telling them that it's good for them. So Michelle has a... I added a little slogan to my film. I said, only the truth can stop her. And the truth about Michelle Obama is she has a uh, very, very shameful history of, of how she treated the black community in her working career. And uh, all this, uh, you know, magazine covers and all these uh, <clears throat> stories she tells about suffering discrimination are, are complete nonsense. She chronically tries to manipulate black voters with these stories of racial discrimination and being held back in life. But I discovered, and I covered very thoroughly in my film and book, uh, that she was she was no friend of the black community, and she's someone that uh, did not suffer any discrimination other than black kids accusing her of acting white. She actually talks about this openly and writes about it in her book. Black kids accused her, called her an Oreo, meaning black on the outside, white on the inside, and said she talked white, acted white kind of means like you have an attitude. So Michelle has a lot of issues with the black community, and uh, my film and book really bring those out. The book is called uh, Michelle Obama 2024, Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. It's by Joel Gilbert. It looks like it's available right now on Amazon as I stare at it. The movie, the documentary is Michelle Obama 2024. Where can people who want to watch that? Uh, yeah, watch for the docu- yeah, for the film version, you can buy the DVD or live stream on demand at SalemNow.com, SalemNow.com, and the book version on Amazon. Beautiful. Joel Gilbert says Michelle Obama is the force to contend with in 2024. Read it, watch it, and Joel, thank you for talking to us, uh, to us about it. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. All right, there you go. That's Joel Gilbert on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1054. If you would like to react to that, how would you feel about a, a Michelle Obama uh, a candidacy? And not that you would like it. What I mean by that is, though, what Joel Gilbert said is right. If you oppose her, you are going to be branded a racist. Donald Trump is already branded by the left and by the mainstream media as a racist. If Donald Trump is the nominee for the Republicans again in 2024, and it's Donald Trump against Michelle Obama, oh my, that's all I can say. Oh my, what they will do to him. The moment he criticizes her about anything. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Let's hear from you. Always write radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Monday, the 25th morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. So, Joe Gilbert, um, who joined me last half hour, um, just talked about his book and his movie, Michelle Obama in 2024. He's certainly got a shot, you know, at, at being correct there. I think the left is in a desperate place right now. I don't think they have anybody that they are super confident in, least of all the incumbent. Um, let's go Brandon. Uh, nor his number two, uh, Kamala Harris, who's just, you know. So all- to that end, we are announcing today also that we will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery um, by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential to, I believe, what is necessary we're going to assist Jamaica by assisting Jamaica at assisting Jamaica. And then we're going to assist Jamaica, and then Jacob will, Jake, Jamaica will be assisted. Uh, they, they really are in a desperate place if their incumbent cannot run again. So, you know, is Michelle Obama the answer for them? Or is it a Gavin Newsom, or is it a Pete Booty judge? I don't know. But what I do know is it's going to be a really interesting situation if Donald Trump is the nominee for the Republican Party. Because anybody that he runs against, he is going to criticize and condemn in extraordinary terms, as he did everybody he ran against the last time around, talking about primaries and against Hillary Clinton. Uh, And the protected classes will come out, the identity politics will protect Michelle Obama, her skin color, acts as a coat of armor, any slings and arrows that are shot at it, even on policy, just bounce off of her because she's black. And you can't say that about a black woman, you racist, you sexist, you misogynist. Same thing for a little Secretary Petey. You can't criticize him for the horrific job he's done in transportation because he's gay, you homophobe, you, you anti-LGBTQ person, you. And Donald Trump is going to be the guy that's going to have to, you know, endure all of that. And how do we know that he's going to be the guy? Wow, did you see Turning Point USA and their Student Action Summit that was just held over the weekend? This was uh, down in Tampa. Um, Tons of attendees, thousands of attendees, youth activists from around the country, all descended on Tampa for Turning Point USA. And they had a straw poll there, as there is, you know, every year at CPAC and other types of events like these. And among the attendees at Turning Point USA's Student Action Summit in that straw poll yesterday, 
78.7% of them say they choose Donald Trump. This happened in Tampa, which is a city that's in Florida, which is governed by the extremely popular Ron DeSantis. And even in Ron DeSantis's backyard, the extremely popular with a huge and shining and sparkling resume of conservatism and America first ideas, Ron DeSantis only pulled 19%. 78% to 19%. And then down there registering nothing, Christy Nome, 1%. Mike Pompeo, a half a percent. Ted Cruz, 0.3%. Nikki Haley, 0.3%. Mike Pence, 0.3%. That's an astounding number. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee as soon as he makes the announcement and runs. And I don't necessarily think that's a great thing for our chances. I don't necessarily believe that Donald Trump is the right answer to the question, who should the Republican Party run for president in 2024 to undo all of the damage done by Joe Biden? I don't think he's the right answer, at least today. He spoke at that conference Saturday night. He hinted at his run, talking about how maybe we'll have to do this again. And, of course, he's talking about winning in 2016. He claims he won in 2020 again, which I believe he did. But then he said, now we may just have to do this again. He said, if I stayed home, if I announced I was not going to run for office, the persecution of Donald Trump would immediately stop, he said, but that's what they want me to do. And you know what? There's no chance I do that. Well, there you go. That's an announcement that says, I'm not not staying home, so therefore I am going to be running. And I'm going to say it again, I don't think that's a great thing for our side. And I want your opinion of it. 216-901-0945 and 888-281. If Donald Trump runs against a Michelle Obama, if Donald Trump runs against, I don't know, a Kamala Harris, if Donald Trump runs again against, I mean, even if Biden was somehow just, you know, continued to be propped up, uh, on a you know on a on a two wheel dolly like Hannibal Lecter once was and rolled out there uh, to babble and mumble and ramble incoherently, it doesn't matter who Donald Trump would be running against. Donald Trump is going to be savaged for anything he does and says, unlike anybody else ever. President Trump generates a certain type of hatred that I don't know if anybody else in the history of American politics generates. And we hated Barack Obama for a lot of reasons. Starting with Obamacare, right out of the chute. Starting with Obamacare, continuing it to police acted stupidly, and starting the war on cops. I mean, there are a lot of reasons. we Nothing compares to the hatred that the left has for Donald Trump. They hated George W. Bush for going into Iraq. They hated Bush like they had never hated anybody until Trump. They hated Reagan, particularly in his second term. We hated Clinton. Nothing rises to the level of hatred that is generated by Donald J. Trump. And if he is the guy that has to win this for us against one of their new popular, uh, you know, potentially popular candidates like a Michelle Obama, 
I think the hatred would be enough to make some supporters stay home uh, and a lot of centrists to say, I can't go through that again for four more years. I don't want four more years of orange man bad, four more years of tweets or, or posts or whatever, four more years of combat with the mainstream media, the, the, you know, the enemy of the people. Never mind the fact that, my friends, Donald Trump was right about all of those things. Never mind the fact that the left wa- or the uh, mainstream media was the enemy of the people, still is. Never mind the fact that he did the right things by getting us out of the Paris Climate Accords, getting us out of the Iran nuclear deal, getting us out of the uh, WHO. I mean, all, all of the things that he did to, to improve the lives of the people of the United States, which is the job of any president first and foremost, that's what America first means. He was phenomenal at it. But he's not the same guy that he was then, and he was hated then. He's hated a million times more today by those who who are predisposed to dislike him. He's already been impeached by the left twice. You can count on a minimum of two more if we go through this for four more years. I'm sitting here today, and it's only, you know, July of 2022 so there's still a lot of time but as i sit here today i look at a guy like ron DeSantis, and you know what i see i see donald trump minus the crazy minus the attitude minus the you know the the petty insults minus the juvenile fights with people that are so beneath his station that all they can do is serve to make him look bad those are the things that Donald Trump, it's part of, it's endemic to his personality. It's part of who he is. It's something that'll be with him forever. You can't get rid of it. And while some people like it, many people, millions of people find it very, very off-putting. And they turn him away, or turn away from him. I think Ron DeSantis runs the same kind of America first ship in Florida and has talked about it at the national level that Donald Trump ran. Uh, for the country. I think that Ron DeSantis believes in every single thing that Donald Trump believes in. And he would propose the very same things. He would push for the very same things. And he would be more of a uniter. And I'm not talking about across the aisle. I'm not talking about that kind of unity, which is, that ship has sailed. I'm talking about in the in his own party. There is still a, such a big portion of the of the Republican Party that won't do anything to back Trump. Any of his agenda, even. Because they despise him that much. Now, does that mean I'm siding with the rhinos? Of course not. Of course not. Not in any stretch. I don't like that idea. I don't like that that rhino Republicans would turn against their own in President Trump. I don't like that at all particularly when his policy prescriptions are right for this country. But I know they're going to do it, and I know it's going to weaken him, and it's going to weaken us. It's going to weaken our unified response to the left's attacks, and we need somebody that we can rally behind and rally around. And I think that that somebody will be Ron DeSantis. I think there are some other people that I might choose before as well. Now, having said that, I said the exact same thing in the primaries in 2015 and 2016. 
I was Cruz. Then Rubio. I don't want to say then Rubio, but also I was. Uh, I would have taken Rubio over him. I would have taken Carly Fiorina. There were a number of people who said some really, really strong things that I liked uh, better than I liked about Donald Trump. But then he won the nomination, and I was all in. Because how can you not be when the alternative is Hillary Clinton? And if he wins the nomination this time, I'll be all in. I'll be MAGA this and ultra MAGA that, and let's go. Let's stop Michelle Obama or Pete Booty Judge or um, Kamala Harris or um, Gavin Newsom or any of the other nut jobs that they might run out there. But for us to win and be our most effective, I think we need to be unified, and the party needs to actually like its nominee. And I don't think that guy is Donald Trump right now. 216 I welcome your thoughts on that, on both sides of that, as a matter of fact. Pete is in uh, North Royalton. Hey, Pete, thanks for waiting. Appreciate that. You're on the air. Go ahead. First of all, Bob, God bless you for what you're doing. We appreciate it. We really do. But the problem I have with DeSantis is actually that if you, I'm worried about splitting the party. Do you understand? That's what they want us to do is split the party. Donald Trump has a lot of, you know, he, he speaks out of turn, like you said, but he does love God and he does love the country. And he's the only president that went against abortion of all the presidents. He's the only one that did what he, that was adamantly against it. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, no, not exactly. There are a lot of super pro, pro-life pro and adamantly against abortion candidates on the Republican side. As, 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 as Donald Trump did? No yeah. president did what Donald Trump did. Oh, no, I'm not talking about presidents. I'm talking about people who would run for president oh, have the same exact oh, viewpoint no, as he oh, does on, okay, pro, on okay, pro-life yes. issues. Yeah. Yes, he, he's got baggage, like you said, but, yeah. but the alternative, is, like you said, is, is much worse, sir. I, I, as far as Michelle Obama running... Do you remember in 2008 when she gave the speech saying that Barack is not going to let you keep your American traditions? He's going to fundamentally change America. He's going to have an army who's going to implement the new way. Absolutely. You, do you remember that? I do. It's, uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Well, and for the first time in my life, she said, I'm, I, "As you played it, that I'm, I'm, I'm proud of America." God help us, Bob. We we are in deep, deep trouble. Well, you know what? You're right. We are. And here's the thing. I'll respond to what you had to say to me. And thank you, my friend, for the phone call um, where you said, you know, uh, we need to be unified, uh, you know, around a, you know, a candidate and unify our party and we can't be split. That's exactly one of the reasons why I'm telling you we need to find somebody else. Because President Trump splits people like nobody else's business, even Republicans, even Republicans who support his policies who support his messages, but don't like the policymaker or the messenger, the way he delivers it, the way he the way he speaks, the way he it generates strife <clears throat> and it generates conflict within the party and within the country again, like nobody else. And if we want to not only win the White House in 2024, there's got to be a twofold uh, purpose here. One is to win it. The other thing is to do amazing things with it, not just spend four years fighting off new impeachment charges, not spend four, spend four years in, uh, fighting off new fabricate. And by the way, all of the crap against Trump was fabricated. This is what makes it hard, because he was done so wrong <clears throat> Excuse me, by so many <clears throat> on the American left, the weaponization of the FBI, the media. He was done so wrong, both before his first election, 
while he was president and when he ran for re-election. That, that you can't help but say, I want him to win just to spite them all who screwed him over. There's a part of me that does. There's a part of me that carries the grudge, that has the chip on the shoulder, that makes me angry, that makes me want to just stick it right up their noses and say, here he is again. Deal with it, you, you lying, tre- treacherous, you know what? Here he is again. Part of me just wants to give him that because he deserves to be, you know, to, to have the, the wrongs that were committed against him righted. I mean, there's a real strong sentiment for that. I have that. But then the other part of me is it's not just about sticking it up their rear ends or their noses, and it's not just about winning. It's about what are we going to do for four years? What kind of extraordinary things have to happen legislatively with the support and the signing of the President of the United States, or Ron DeSantis, or whomever it might be, that isn't going to lead to, like I said, four more years of crazy chaos? Four more years of crazy chaos will not help the party. Four more years of crazy chaos will not help the country. Four more years of Trump policy prescriptions are good. Four more years of Trump being the the, the man behind them? Maybe not. DeSantis can bring the Trump policies right back to the national forefront, the same way Trump did, but without the crazy and without the generated hatred and the hatred and the split and the uh, the anger uh, and, and, and all of the rest that comes along with it. That's kind of the point I'm making, not to mention it would be easier for a DeSantis to run against a Michelle Obama than it would be for a Trump. Trump is already viewed incorrectly, wrongly, falsely, and disgustingly so as a racist. We know he's not. But that's the that's the label he's been slapped with. How does he criticize a Michelle without without that being put on steroids? That's a real tough thing too. But Turning Point USA's crowd: seventy eight percent said Trump, nineteen percent said DeSantis. That's an astounding number. I'll be right back. Okay, 1128, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's go down to Texas, deep in the heart of Texas. Well, Houston, anyway. It's not really deep in the heart. It's kind of on the southeast side by the coast. But Will in Houston, Texas. Hey, Will, how are you, brother? Hey, brother. How you doing, my friend? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, man. I saw, dude, I want to tell you, Bob, you are 5 million percent correct concerning Trump uh, versus DeSantis or, or anyone else mm-hmm. in in 2024. Couple couple quick things, man. My my father is a is a Baptist minister. My dad my dad grew up in the, in the 60s. You know he's part of the whole Black Panther stuff. So so he you know he has, has a kind of skewed idea of Republicans or whatever. But he says you know when um, Rubio and everybody else is running, he said you know what I could probably vote for a Republican because he's a he's a minister. He's a Christian. You know so he has he does have conservative views. He says, I just cannot bring myself to vote for Trump. And and that's that's the case in a you know, in a lot with a lot of people, Bob. You know, there there's three things that's guaranteed in life death, taxes, and the liberal media being against the Republican nominee. Yes, so sir. whoever whoever's the Republican nominee, your media is gonna be against you, right? But it's but if it's Trump, they, they, they take it to another level. Because they've already like you said, they've already branded him with this unnecessary racist crap 
but but it you know it is what it is and unfortunately unfortunately a lot of his his verbal gaffes and uh, you know the fact that he was not a politician he <laughs> he didn't know how to delicately move like a DeSantis would you know you, you think about some of these social issues you know men in women's bathrooms and men in women's sports I, I I don't believe Trump can intelligently you know in 2024 you know, kind of way through that minefield, like like somebody like a DeSantis would. You know, you you have to have a. You have to have the velvet glove, not just the iron fist. You have to be Absolutely. able to massage a situation rather than just come at it with blunt force. President Trump is a Absolutely. sledgehammer. He's blunt force, and he's just brute strength. And, there, and you know what? There's a, there's a lot to love about that. But right. when a situation calls for that deft touch, when it calls for that kinder moment, when it calls for that kind of, like I said, that velvet glove or that, uh, that massaging of a situation... It isn't there. It's not natural to him. And my concern, my friend, and thank you for the call, Will. i got to get to our news here. My concern is what you said at the beginning about your Baptist uh, preacher father. Um, there are strong conservatives who just can't bring them to, themselves to vote for Trump because they just don't like his style that much. And while I would say to them, stop it, do what's right, I know I can't reach them all. And I know there are going to be a lot of them that just say, I can't do it. And if they say, I can't do it, and they can't do it for the other person either, the Michelle or the Newsom or the Biden or whatever, they stay home, we lose. We lose. We need people who are willing to go to and fight for the candidate, not only for the platform, but because they like the person and they will do whatever they can for the person. And President Trump has alienated so many of those people. I think it spells uh, a lot of trouble, if not a disaster for us. We want to win this thing. I want him to win this thing. I don't know because of the baggage and because of the crazy aspect if he can. They'll do anything. They cheated and stole it from him once. What makes you think they won't cheat to steal it from him again? I don't know if those same machines would be in play. And I don't mean the voting machines. I mean the Democrat cheating and fraud machine would be in play for somebody else. I'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. And it's uh, an incredible thing that it's happened over the last few years, a lot of great things, and you're paying, what, $2 a gallon for your gasoline? That's okay. You know what that's like? That's like a tax cut. That's bigger than a tax cut. If Biden got in, you'd be paying $7, $8, (laughs) $9. He wasn't wrong. He didn't reach that yet. But the war on fossil fuels is not over yet, by the way. It reached over five. But it hasn't reached six or seven yet. But Trump was right. He was spot on about that. And I would take that $2 gas again in a heartbeat. Uh, let me go to, to uh, Dan, who's calling us from Nebraska. So we're popular out of state today, and that's cool. Hey, Dan, you're in Nebraska. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, I agree uh, on your assessment, basically, is where the issues are. We're probably, I think maybe we need to focus would be a slightly different. I'm more of the opinion that what we do is point out things that will keep maybe someone like me who's a Trump voter from the very get-go 
um, and that is he does need to uh, retract his uh, statement concerning what a great job he did on the vaccine. Um, I I think if a, a say a DeSantis were to come out and say what a big mistake that was, that that would become an issue that would uh, basically shift voters like me to someone like DeSantis. Well, I, I'll tell you what, I, I think you make a really... You are in. <laughs> you may, I'm, I'm just sorry, I'm in the same boat you are. I'm yeah. in the same boat you are. I want to put Trump back in because he deserves it. He, he was our president. He was reelected as our president, and they took it away from him. I too. feel the same way. And there's a part of me that just for spite wants him back in there. And I know for a part of him, one of the reasons he wants to get back in there is for spite, too. Just to, again, kind of, you know, you tried to keep me from a second term and you couldn't because I'm back. Uh, and there's a there's a great element of, of, of that, I think, that, that drives a lot of people, including myself. Here's what I'll say about, and thank you, Dan, for the call. Here's what I'll say about the um, the vaccine thing. Donald Trump was in the worst possible position being the president in 2020 when the uh, when the pandemic hit because of the panic and the fear and the propaganda that was spread far and wide. Um, everybody was looking at the government and saying, "Do something." And Donald Trump, and the thing to do, everybody said, was, "You better have a vaccine for this." So he poured unlimited resources into Operation Warp Speed to get the vaccines ready because it's exactly what everybody said he should do. And it's exactly the only thing he could think of to do. It's what everybody said. And because he did it, the vaccines were developed at at record speed. Uh, They were not tested over the course of years because nobody would have allowed that. If you can't test it over the course of years to see what the long-term effects are because too many people are going to die. It's just terrible. So he was forced into acting, in my opinion, a lot more aggressively and a lot more harshly on these vaccines and pushing and promoting them than he would have been otherwise, because it's what everyone demanded. But the one thing that he didn't do was make it a mandate. He didn't say, these are ready now, we've got them granted, emergency use authorization, and, and everybody has to get one of these. So I think he tried to play it down the middle. You know, he couldn't just turn over the presidency to the next guy with no vaccine protocols or program in place, or he would have gone down in history as the guy that let millions of people die without even trying to get a vaccine. He had to do what he did in terms of developing through Operation Warp Speed those vaccines. But he tried to play it down the middle by telling everybody it's it's your call. And I think that's the right call. The right call was to, and it's still the right call today. If you want to take your shot on myocarditis and pericarditis and 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 uh, Guillain-Barre syndrome and and strokes and 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 blood clots and heart problems, if you want to take a shot by taking these untested gene therapy drugs, they're available for you. But for somebody to make that mandatory, to me, is flat out criminal. That's all the time that I've got now. If I left you on hold, I do apologize, but that's the way it rolls sometimes. We'll look forward to having you back tomorrow. Kirsten, I was not in tomorrow, but that's okay. We've got some great guests lined up. We'll see you then, everyone. Let's, Let's say it together. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.